Welcome to Third Spacing, the podcast, where we explore important issues on the peripheries of clinical medicine in Singapore. I'm your host, Manisha. Today, we continue our discussion with Dr. Shravan Verma about his innovation, SpeedDoc. In the last episode, we explored the beginnings of SpeedDoc and entrepreneurship. Today, we venture into talking about SpeedDoc's role in a Singaporean context. We talk about Dr. Verma's goal for SpeedDoc, the role that technology will play in medicine, and about placing the focus on the patient as an integral part of any medical service. We discuss the rapidly evolving medical scene and how doctors can adapt to the challenges of the foreseeable future. So for someone looking at the idea of speed dog for the first time, they might think that house calls is something that was done in the past. So do you think that it's applicable for a generation like ours? The beauty of some of these ideas are really like, how can we take some of these old concepts, but bring in a new modern factor with all the technology surrounding it, and it becomes so much more valuable. Yes, house calls have existed since the 60s, but that got phased out predominantly because people realized they could see more patients in a hospital or a clinic and they had all the equipment there with them. However, now that we're seeing this rapid rise in the technological advancements to the points your diagnostic kits are so advanced where you can do so many tests right in the comfort of patients' homes or in mobile settings that the appeal for bringing back those house calls really becomes more apparent. Having all these latest tools and gadgets which really, really enhance the capabilities of a doctor at home, I think there's a really good value add for patients because you can do a lot more in the comfort of their own home. Not to mention the fact that when you do it on scale and when you do it in a very standardized way, being able to have doctor visits followed by nursing visits, followed by even a dietitian or physiotherapist, you start bringing that whole hospital experience to people's homes. So that's where it started creating what we love to use, like a virtual hospital or a virtual clinic. So instead of everything being done in a hospital, we are able to do everything, the same level of care in a patient's home. And when you do routing optimization for all these different resources and make it much more efficient with using all our mapping algorithms, it really makes it a lot more efficient and yet patients get the better side of care. So you mentioned this idea of virtual hospital. Actually, could you elaborate a little bit more about this concept? I'll put it in a easy to understand way. So if I'm a hospital today with 300 hospital beds, I can only see 300 patients max at a time. What our goal is, with proper tools and technology and the skilled manpower, which is that same 300-bed hospital can see maybe 600, maybe even 1,000 patients at a time with proper monitoring of patients ongoing at home, be able to facilitate, to be able to monitor their progress of their condition and then intervene if anything changes. For example, one of the most use cases that we've done is something like dengue. 
Now, I remember in the hospitals, we would see so many dengue patients coming in. They would need to have uh, maybe IV drips for a few days. They would get a daily blood test for FBC to monitor the platelet count. Then once it starts improving, then they can be discharged. And you realize how much overheads and resources are spent on managing one dengue patient. And that makes you think, so like, if you can do the same thing in patient's home, where a doctor goes, does the blood tests, confirm dengue, sets up an IV drip at home, nurse goes next day, does the blood test, follows up regularly, monitors the platelet count until it comes back, and then you can discharge in quotes the patient from their home itself. And when you compare the overheads of those two, one, you're in a hospital setting with all the monitoring, all the nurses, round-the-clock staff, and the other, where the patient is at home, and you may just have some monitors or sensors placed on the patient which are sending like vital signs essentially and you monitor that and you're intervening as needed it's almost like half the cost of what it would take in a hospital so that's where the promise of this virtual hospital really lies and i would say we're really really at the beginning stage of this the tools and the gadgets and the diagnostic capabilities that will only come the monitoring capabilities that will only come with 5g monitoring and iot devices i would say hospitals will become this really really specialized place where very sick or complex cases come but majority of the cases will be able to be managed at home. So this sounds like a very promising idea and it can really take the burden off of our resources. Has this idea already been explored in any other places in the world? And do you think it will be suitable for a country like Singapore? So actually there was a study done in Boston in Brigham Hospital. I think it was published in just December of 2019 which showed the benefit. It showed a decreased cost, improved patient experience, improved mobility, and also less morbidities. We were lucky to be one of the first few to, to implement this model here in Singapore. And why it's very applicable to Singapore is because there's a huge aging population segment here in Singapore. And hospital numbers are limited and it can only go up so more. You can only build so many more hospitals. But as the population ages, the need for medical care still rises. We see the way to solve it as by having this kind of virtual hospital set up for them at home. So no matter what the patient load is or the demand is, you can see anybody at the comfort of their own homes. So one of the biggest concerns or a point that people bring up with this kind of virtual hospitals or even like apps like SpeedDoc is that do these platforms actually ensure the continuity of care? Because they believe that there is a focus more on the disease than the patient itself. So what do you have to say about this? So I would say this is one of the biggest differences in healthcare when you compare it to some of the more transactional businesses like ride hailing apps or food delivery apps. But for the long-term care and especially chronic conditions, it does require absolutely that continuity that you mentioned. So that's a big part of what we develop in our um, offerings as well, that even if you have a long-term or a chronic condition, you can map out everything in your own account so you know when or where which service is needed 
we value that very, very highly. And we also try to make sure there's a regular doctor assigned to a patient. So they're also not seeing a new doctor every time they engage our services. And it's a doctor who's very aware of their medical history and their condition as well. So healthcare is definitely not that transactional and does require that continuity. And we do try and keep that continuity in the core of our offerings. The story of SpeedDoc seems to be the first step towards something different in our healthcare system. So what is then the ultimate goal of SpeedDoc? Our number one goal right now is to be able to deliver the best patient experience. We really don't want them to feel overwhelmed and that's our mission to be able to build and deliver everything where it's really, really convenient and seamless for them. So even the different products and services that we do create, for example, like our chronic disease, we really, really hope that no Singaporean with chronic condition goes without proper follow-up that's recommended by the MOH guidelines. So that's what we are creating everything for, where they can review and take intervention. And that's what will move to a much healthier society. So we want to be able to take away the healthcare burden from users so that they can do their best work in life. So you mentioned the idea of virtual hospitals and telemedicine. With such a strong system of GPs and polyclinics in Singapore, do you think a system of house calls can ultimately replace primary healthcare? So our goal with offering house calls the way we do is definitely not to replace primary care. We do see it as a strong component of primary care. Primary care includes different kinds of services. For example, a diabetic will need foot screen, eye screen, which requires a nurse, educator, or dietitian. If you can combine all that and provide it to a patient in a very, very convenient manner, and house calls is just a part of it, same as telemedicine being just a part of it, that you are able to fulfill the full gap of the primary care requirements for the society. That's our goal. And what we see is like home visiting doctors and nurses just being a part of the bigger picture of primary care that's required. So it sounds like there'll be a lot of options for patients to choose from when they have a particular illness. Should I use an app like SpeedDoc? Should I go to my GP? Should I go to the hospital? So what do you think patients should consider when they try to make a decision among these various options? One of our goals is to really eradicate this anxiety or thought from patients. And what we've created is they just need to call us and we can direct them as needed for their condition. So all our internal team of uh, patient care team and the triage team is trained of uh, what are conditions suitable for video call, what are the conditions suitable for house calls, and what are conditions that require straightaway escalation to uh, A&E or a hospital. So we really don't want patients to worry about that and they can just contact us and we will direct them as per the best needs. So what are some of the challenges that SpeedDoc has faced so far? Have you run into any problems that you did not anticipate? So this brings back down to how you started, right? How do you move from an idea to actually having a company with proper management and structure? 
And a big part of it is finding the right people. I remember finding my co-founder, Serene, at a startup event. And I was always interested in a lot of these companies that they were doing and ended up meeting her. And we realized we wanted to do the same things in healthcare. So I was glad to have somebody as passionate join this mission of what we're trying to create. And then from there, in the early days, I remember when you have almost like no money in the company and we didn't have any cars or anything to be able to even see patients. I remember we would take Grab everywhere to do the home visits and that required us calling a Grab, waiting for it. Then after we're done with the visit, we would have to wait for another Grab to go to another visit. Looking back, it seems like, wow, how did we survive all that? But slowly, I would say, as we, we were seeing how happy or how grateful patients felt when they were able to get our services and in times of need is what actually kept pushing us to do more and more. And I would say passion is what new people also started seeing in us, which is what made them want to join the team. And then being in a very, very regulated industry like healthcare, it was such a big challenge to know what is allowed and what isn't. And since we were in a very new model of care, which hadn't really been done that way, it wasn't very clear. But luckily in 2018 is when MOH themselves started this regulatory sandbox to help companies like ours work to sort of create guidelines for these newer models of care. So again, I think that helped us a lot so having to run a startup like SpeedDog and constantly exploring different ideas and different gaps to fill in healthcare, do you think you miss being in the hospital for most of the time or is this something that you much likely would prefer to do for the rest of your life? So I definitely have no regret. I loved that I took this plunge and moved into this new side of healthcare. I think everybody has their interests and what they want to do and their uh, people who love being surgeons and for me, I enjoy creating new things and creating new models and creating new products. So I have no regrets, absolutely. Since doing this, I feel like it's been the best marriage of all my interests of engineering and medicine and yet being able to have patient care at the core. So you're a very strong advocate for using technology and innovation to plug the various gaps in healthcare. Could you tell us a bit more about how technology and innovation in general is changing health and healthcare? One of the biggest changes that we're seeing now is because access to information has improved so much, people and patients are a lot more knowledgeable about their conditions. And we do see this as a good thing because the more people know about their conditions and their diagnoses, the more prone they are to take a much more proactive approach in managing it. And we realize the outcome of the patient for their conditions is largely dependent on how motivated they are to uh, change it or fix it or improve their lifestyle. So we are seeing this trend where people ask doctors more questions, uh, want to know why certain things are being done. And this also helps doctors make better decisions and builds better transparency, builds more trust. So that's one of the biggest things that I see is happening. 
Not to mention, there's a whole lot of work being done in IoT and even artificial intelligence and machine learning. And that's a big part where we also want to see how we can incorporate that towards patient care as well. In how can we automate the whole process of how a patient navigates through their whole healthcare journey. And this will continue to evolve and, and rapidly progress. There's a big push of wearable technologies and that's another way where patients are being more uh, proactive and looking at their stats. So I think this trend is all moving in the right direction. It's making patients more proactive and, and interested in their own conditions. And that should, with the proper uh, management systems and healthcare systems, only lead to better outcomes. So technology is changing health and healthcare to great extents. I would like to know if you think medical education is actually keeping up with these changes. I do see there are many changes being done. Even when I was in medical school, uh, there was this thing called practice course where they would have newer teachings and some out of the medical box thinking. They even had uh, lawyers come talk to us about the medical legal stuff. So I do see it happening, but I think because the environment is changing very rapidly, schools may need to adapt to that as well and move at the same speed. I think what we should be taught is how to manage patients virtually. We are only taught to do history and physical examinations, but there's a big component of what are the cues and the signs you can actually pick out virtually. And that's one of the things that I would really advocate being taught in medical school since that will become the norm in a few years' time. Additionally, I would say it would be important because remote monitoring devices are able to collect a lot more data. How to interpret that data and how do you change your management based on that data? I think that should also be uh, taught in medical schools moving forward. So there are many specialized causes that have sprung up recently specifically to train future clinician innovators, for example, the SUTD Duke NUS special track. How do you think a person can assess their interest in this field from early on? So this does lead back to something that I was saying earlier about being able to zoom out and look at the bigger picture and see where everything fits and then making new connections and new dots. To be able to do that and to be able to create connections that other people can't, it comes down to what kind of experiences you've had in your life. And not only just means like what training or course or program that you did, which of course makes a difference, you know, if you do anthropology, you do art history, you do try and bring those experiences in making connections. But it also comes down to like taking the path less traveled by at times and and do things which most people won't. So that sets you apart and gives you a set of experiences which others won't have. So you will actually be able to create connections which many other people can't as well. I'm always a proponent for people doing new things, different things, don't always have to follow what everybody else is doing. And don't be afraid to go against what other people are saying. I think that's what makes people unique. Be prepared for coming up with more unique solutions moving forward. So Dr. Shravan, so far in our interview, there is this recurrent idea that healthcare is at this 
time of change where it's moving towards something bigger, something different. So could you tell us a bit about what all of this means for us soon-to-be doctors? So healthcare is a really, really complex system and industry, and it has so many different stakeholders, all the way from insurance companies to hospitals to doctors to nurses. We are at the cusp of it evolving and becoming a lot more transparent, a lot more accessible, where people can get answers and get the treatments done very effectively and quickly. But there's a whole lot more way to go. It really depends on medical students like yourselves to have a very open view and open mind when you're doing your clinical rotations or when you're even practicing as doctors in the hospitals to look out for those changes because really you will be the ones leading these new implementations and new projects moving forward. So make the most of your time practicing and then don't be afraid to take risks. We will fail at times, but this is the only way the healthcare system is going to improve. It won't automatically happen. It will require people like you, me, taking those risks, making those bets and getting people along the way to make it happen.